Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Julie Lawton is a designer, general contractor, and CEO of Julie Lawton Custom Homes, a unique one-stop shop design-build service. Julie is based in Orange County, California, and has designed over 500 spaces from there to New York City. Her work has been repeatedly featured in style magazines across the country, which is not surprising because it's absolutely breathtaking. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Julie. Thank you, Emily. I'm so glad to be here. Emma, it's so great to have you. You're really the perfect candidate for the Hazard Girls podcast, being in construction and design, this male-populated industry for so many years. So we're really excited to hear more about your experience and what you're working on. I saw you starting your career in New York, but you're now in California. Are you from New York? No, I'm from Iowa. And what it is, it's in college. I went to Iowa State and they put me up in an internship program in New York City. So my counselor did me a favor because I'm extremely talented in drafting and drawing. And so they really helped me out by getting me this internship in New York City. So right after that last summer of college, I did the internship the next summer, and then I moved back to New York after I graduated. So it really launched me into the almost unbelievable career for almost 10 years in New York City, and I'm so grateful. During your time there, you worked with some of the top developers. So that is amazing that you just came from University of Iowa, I think. Is that what you mm-hmm. said? And you guys just catapulted into this high-powered New York career. How did that happen? Like, how did you get well, so successful? You know, I just can't remember how I met my boss, but I had worked for two architects initially, and I was the only girl. And those guys were great because they did residential, and then one did banks and major stuff in New York. But then I got this job with this woman named Elaine, and Elaine was hooked up with these five developers because I think one of her husbands was hooked up with them, and she was not a designer. So she hired me and seven men to do the decorating, but I was the draftsman, the architectural person, and ran the show, and she couldn't talk design, so she put me in all the meetings at 24 years old, 23 years old, with all these top guys, because they were her clients. So I would go to these meetings and present all the model apartments and the lobbies and all by myself on these board meetings because she couldn't talk and she couldn't do it. She just provided the service. And we ended up doing every model apartment in New York City from 1985 to 1990. And the Friars Club and Philip Milstein and Cheryl Milstein's private home in Scarsdale. It was just me and them. And it was quite fun. And she just shoved me in as she told me, you know, I'm going to push you into the deep end. You either sink or swim. And I swam. (laughs) (laughs) It was a woman that opened the door. That's really interesting. And Mm -hmm. so you were really put in that position because you had both design and the architecture background. Is that right? That's right. I hate to say this weirdly, but I'm extremely talented. I was born with artistic talent. I can draw anything. I was drafting buildings and drawing things at 14, 15 years old. So I knew that architecture was my thing. But in college, I moved around a lot because I couldn't quite pin it what I really wanted to do and ended up with a design degree with space planning, interior designing, lighting, and how humans function in the dwelling and how humans function in the office. So it really boiled down to how people live and work 
in the building and the structure. So I have three different kind of backgrounds going on in college. I know you had a natural talent for it. Did your parents encourage you? Did they have a background in design? What was your childhood you know, like? I think it's my dad's side of the family because they were artistic and musical. I played the piano, the drums. I still played a day. I played the bass violin. I was an Archie champion, skeet shooting champion, seven handicap and golf, swimming instructor, lifeguard for four years, rode my bike everywhere, was on the tennis team, didn't sit down much until, you know, college. <laughs> anyway, but the point is I could draw at eight, nine, 10 years old. I was drawing my cat, my dog, my horse, my parents' car. Then it turned into the buildings. So I could draw and they just let me go. My mom was kind of a working, more modern thinking. She always let us do what we wanted. There were no barriers for girls to do girls things. Like my sister played baseball on a boys baseball team. I was a golfer. So was she. But the point is my mother never put up those boundaries. You got to do lady like lady things. So that's kind of where it started. We weren't raised with any boundaries in the 60s. You know, I was born in 1962. So it was a perfect time, but there was never boundaries put on us as far as men, women, boys, girls. I could shoot a gun and skeet shooting better than anybody to this day because no one said you can't do it. It's just, we were raised equal. How's that? I hear that from so many of the women that I interview that have reached high levels of success in these male-populated industries. And yeah. I really, I, we really do have to credit our parents, I think, with the way that they've raised us to not to feel like there's yes. pre-existing mm-hmm. barriers. And I, and I think the trick is then as women in these industries, how do we share that with those who weren't raised like that? Well, yeah. You got to take out the fear just because it's a man's world and he's in construction doesn't mean you can't learn it. You don't have to swing a hammer or pour concrete, but I've done both of that. And I know how to do it. And I actually learned how to do framing, which I'll never do again. It's exhausting. <laughs> but, um, but you don't have to physically do it. you got to just know what you're doing and be on the slab and in the project. I mean, I've been standing in the dirt since 1985 when I graduated college because that's the only way you get things done is you take the plans, you go to the site and measure and figure it out. And I'm still doing the same thing today. So when you're doing that, you're on them like you're around men. And because of my dad having two girls and no boys, He raised us as he would also were his kids, but we were around men a lot. My mom had two uncles that babysat us. My dad took us wherever he went to the mechanic shop, the bike shop, everywhere. And there was no barriers. We learned how to behave around men. I know how men think I'm comfortable around men. There was no, like I said, this boundary or I have to be a whatever. I won't even go into the opposite of what I do. And it reflects in my personal life too. So I shouldn't have the fear just because it's a man's business that you can't learn it because construction is all about organization and women do that better. So it was easy. Being a contractor is the easiest thing I ever did. And it was fun. Well, when you were studying, you were studying both architecture and construction at the same time, right? And that was in the... Well, this is the deal in college. You don't really study construction. You study how to build things. And then you don't really get the real experience until you get in the field with the architect and see, oh my God, these plans do, don't work. Or maybe these plans have to change or these plans cost too much. And then you learn that when you're actually working in the real environment. So the construction knowledge comes from standing in the dirt. You don't get that in college. And I didn't take construction management. I learned it. But you can take construction management in college. And that's what I think most women should do to open up their field of experience and enter into contracting, just so you know. That's my recommendation. What was that like in the 80s when you were in college in that field? Were you one of the only women? Yes. So what it was, is all my classes, 
in architecture and landscape architecture were all men, but then I dropped into interior design, which is space planning. So it was more balanced with more women than men. But when I got my first job, I was the only woman in the drafting pool at the first firm. And then the second firm, there was one female architect upstairs who would kind of take me under her wing. And so it was nice, but there was one of 30 to 50 people. So, and then when I go to the job site, it was all contractors and the mafia contractors and the labor and the union. So you had to obey the rules and it was the eighties. So we wore high heels and skirts. So there was cat calls constantly and which didn't bother me because I like the way I look, but you're in a man's world. It's like walking into a man's, you know, <laughs> it's just, it was the eighties. <laughs> of course I don't wear high heels and skirts anymore. Thank God that's changed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we kind of chatted at the beginning before we started the podcast about harsh language, cursing, that kind of thing. And it just got me thinking because I've had this discussion about the way that we act when we're working around a lot of men versus like the way we might act around other people or in different environment with more mixed. Do you think that your personality has developed a certain way because you've been working mostly around men? Oh yeah. I've calmed down and slowed down and not that we don't gossip just so you know, men gossip more than women, just so you know, <laughs> but that's what something you find out when you work with them. But I've slowed down and I know I'm the boss. I'm not just working with them, but I'm the boss. So I have that right. extra layer of having the stiff back and the straight personality, no nonsense. So example, I bring women to the job site and first thing they do is unbutton the top button of their shirt. I'm like, what are you doing? This isn't a bar. It's a job site. Stop it. Because all women act weird around a group of men. I see it. They get weird. So I'm like, you can't bring certain people to the job site because it's like you're in a yard of men. So I noticed that there's people that don't know how to act around men, but I'm the boss. So I have gotten a little stricter and calmer, more stiff back and more, I don't goof around. And when I'm with women, it's nonstop talking. We joke around and we talk faster and because women talk different, like we talk on top of each other and we still keep up. So that part, I don't do that around the guys. I listen and I'm there. So I'm much more stern and straightforward. How's that? Yeah, that's very interesting. And you're right about women. We do talk over top of each other and we have no problem yep. <laughs> doing that. We get it. It's like our language. Yes. <laughs> but it's funny because over the years in construction, it's the women that I have tried to bring in some of my staff to the job site and just different times. And it's funny to watch how people react when there's 15 men staring at you. <laughs> Because they're really just looking for what do you want or what do you want us to do? They're looking for instruction or they're just curious, but it's intimidating to a lot of people, but not me because I grew up around it. Yeah, that's interesting that that helps. Yeah, I know what I was going to ask you because this is like this ongoing debate, I think, that I don't know if I just have it with myself or with guests or if <laughs> I see people talking about it in the Hazard Girls Facebook group. But, you know, like I think there's this like idea that to fit in with in a mostly male environment, like you have to like change your personality or act a certain way or like, I don't know, be into sports, like talk about whatever sports they're talking about or all that kind of stuff or laugh at their jokes. And even though you might not think it's funny. And then like nowadays, I think a lot of, especially like I'm Gen X, I'm hearing, hearing it like from millennials, like we don't do that anymore. We don't laugh at their jokes if they're not funny. We just say that's not funny. And you know, that kind of thing where they're like less willing to kind of go along with it. I'm just wondering where you are on that spectrum. Of oh yeah, I was like that many years ago because I don't think just because a guy talks that I need to pretend or join his club because 
if I don't know about sports, I'm not going to comment and I don't really care about sports anymore. And so, but if I'm a sports fanatic and I know about it, I'll get in there. But if guys are talking, I'm certainly not going to butt into their little world. Guys have their little world and the little bonding. So it's up to them to communicate with us on a level playing field. So I don't ever lower myself or beg to be part of some conversation or fake it. I don't think that's healthy for anybody. And because that's how you end up the subservient females to some person that is ridiculous. <laughs> I can't yeah, even say yeah. that without swearing. <laughs> you know, there's a whole, so the millennials are right. It's a level playing field. Because when you're in college, you talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. It's not man or woman. It's you in the group and you in the course. There's no male or woman thing that's a cool thing about college and some of the work environments you're in there to do the task so when you get into construction in the field even if you're the only woman you're talking the construction language and the rest is separate so if you choose to go out for drinks with these guys or go out and socialize which that's a whole nother deal then that's when that comes in but work-wise uh -uh, it shouldn't even be a factor you're talking about work but guys will choose to open up and talk to you and you'll choose to, I wouldn't recommend gossiping about anything with anybody and talking about your hairstyle, your clothing or forts anyway. So <laughs> at work, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you were in New York for like 10 years and then you decided to uproot your life and head to California. How did you reach that well, decision? Well, it's funny because I didn't want to, but there was a big recession in New York in 1991 and the builders all stopped. So I was actually doing some apartments, condos, and things for some of the builders' relatives and friends. And so I was doing fine. And then there was no future work with that company. So I called my buddy from San Diego, who was a landscape architect's college buddy. I was in classes with him. And he said, why don't you come visit to San Diego? So I went out to San Diego for two weeks. And I thought, darn it, this is beautiful weather. I have nothing to go back to New York for all my friends are leaving and the nightclubs are done and the jobs are done. So it was a big shift because I was almost turning 30. So I moved to Hollywood, Los Angeles with literally nothing. And I had my sister ship my apartment to me. I didn't even go back. And I got a job at a design firm. And then that didn't work because I'm overqualified. And so I just started to work in a showroom on Beverly Boulevard and sold custom kitchens that I could draw because I wanted to draw and design. So I landed in custom kitchens, which started my career with all the clients I still have today. So I got into the houses by doing being the designer who could design the kitchen. And then it turned into building additions, working with them owner builder or with their contractor and with their architect. And then after so many years, I'm like, I moved to Laguna immediately, but after so many years of doing it in Laguna where it was still the nineties and I couldn't handle working with the local contractor because they weren't as professional as my experience in New York city with commercial contractors. So I just became the contractor so I could do it right and sleep at night and have my clients sleep at night and not get ripped off anymore. Cause it was a mess. Residential is very unprofessional. If you have the wrong person in construction, you've got to obey the rules codes. It's yeah, no funny money. So yeah, I became the contractor out of necessity because I need to work professionally in all aspects. So <laughs> is that when you started your business? What, when you started? Yeah, so I started my business in 1991 after a couple of years in LA getting grounded and realizing I can't work for anybody anymore. I'm too old. So I started my business in 1991. It's Julie Lawton, Interior Design and Custom Kitchens. 
And then I worked with homeowners and their contractors who were ripping them off 90% of the time. And then sometimes they're architects. Then I work with some really big builders and architects where I was in the middle doing what I've always done and still do to this day. And then I thought, oh my God, all my jobs with all these kitchens, the women were firing their contractor and asking me to finish their jobs. I'm like, oh my God. So after experiencing that and getting all my experience, I just said, oh my God, I have to become the contractor. So in 2006, I got my license. I took the test. The lady at the place where they put you in a room with a camera on you and they locked the door. She said, I took the test faster than anybody in the history of the test. And I got a 98%. I'm like, geez. So I guess I learned all my stuff in New York City because I was scared about that test because I was scared I wouldn't know some of the stuff on that exam. It was four hours long. So the point is I got my license and then I changed the company name to Julie Lawton Design Build, which is the architectural side, which is, I'm not a licensed architect. I have the design corporation and then the construction corporation, JLGC, which is Julie Lawton General Contracting. So I operate as two entities because one has professional liability and one has general liability and workers comp. So they operate side by side. So legally it works. I'm both. Okay, cool. Now, what is that like, though? Is that common? Do, do not many people have both design and general contractors? Nobody has it. Nobody has it. I think there's some architects out there that have become contractors, but they don't fully do both things. They either do all the design or they dabble in the construction and still hire people to do it. I think I'm the only living human being that actually seriously does all the plans and draws them and pulls the permit and runs the job. And I am the contractor. There's nobody under me making decisions. It's me. I show up every day. There's no project managers, nothing. So I'm 60 and I still haven't broke down and hired anybody to help me because I can do it. (laughs) I do it quicker and faster. The point is there is nobody like this. So it's unique. So some people don't get it and they think they need their architect. They need their designer. They need their decorator, their lighting person, their landscape person, their contractor. And then you have five engineers with the plans that go with the plans. So that's like... 10, 15 people you're managing on every project where I just do it as one and I hire the engineers. So the client really deals with one person. It's so nice and relaxing for them. Julie, tell us a little bit about the homes that you're working on because we've heard about how you got into it. But when I looked at your website, some of these homes are very impressive, gorgeous, Mm -hmm. large homes. You've even worked on the mansion of Disney Imagineer Tony Baxter. So just tell us about some of the projects. Well, my projects usually are remodels with new construction added on and a lot of them like the ones i did on the balboa peninsula where i've done almost 40 projects there's like 15 homes in a three block radius and these are old 1950s homes so i basically tore down everything and maybe kept the garage and one house i kept the second story above the garage because she really liked the cottage and it did save money but I took out the garage below and the house below and put in all new concrete and footing and walls. And the neighbors are all freaked out because I suspended the second story for like six months. So my projects are extreme. They are people who love their home, the people who want to save their home. They're emotionally attached to the home and they want design. They just don't want to track home, blah, 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 or what the other guy has. So the projects are like 3,500 to 5,000 square feet with a lot of passion and a lot of attention to detail and timeless beauty. But the clients range 
from just the average couple to like Tony Baxter, the Imagineer of Disney, he seriously tried to remodel his house by himself. It was a disaster. And then he heard about me over lunch one day and he didn't think I exist. And he's like, I'm a unicorn because he's never heard of a girl that designs and does the contracting. So he hired me five years ago and we have not left his house. We are still there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we and we added on two rooms to the back, and it's his original Disney design with all the Tudor, the hand-scraped wood. Everything we did was something he did himself 30 years ago in the Disney shops. And then he had the guys that knew how to paint the rocks, so we had to paint the rocks. Everything we learned, we learned some more tricks from him about vintage storytelling with architecture. And the house is seamless. You can't tell where we added on. It's quite amazing. And working with him was neat because he can draw like me, but he can't get the drawing from the paper into reality because that technical part with the engineering and how do you actually build it, that was me. So the cool part is he did the drawings for me on that one, but I had to make them the working drawings and actually get it built. So it was such a fun thing. And then I have other clients who just have several homes and one of them had their house in the movie Monster-in-Law, and that was one of my favorite and first kitchens because it was a Wallace Neff home, which is a famous architect from the 1930s. And just working in these luxurious kind of 1930s Hollywood glamour homes, oh my God, I just love the historical. I love it. But now I think I want to do some more new construction because it's technically easier, but the market's changed a little bit and the young people aren't maybe not remodeling as much, but they're building new homes. They want a fresh look. So I'm shifting with the times. Yeah. <laughs> Julie, I'd like to hear about your process. I read an article where you said that coordinating and overseeing your projects could be compared to conducting an opera with every working hand being vital to the overall success of the project. And I would love to know what you meant by that and just hear a little bit more about your working process. The whole process starts with me interviewing the client and their only homework is to show me pictures. And then I get along and prompted with decisions as we go. But what happens is the minute I take on the project, I got to draw the house as the as builds. So then I have a draftsman and he has two assistants. And then I have the five engineers that go with the project, the civil engineer, the structural engineer, the soils engineer, the survey guy, and the title 24 engineer. So they have to be coordinated because their plans have to match my plans so all the plans get drawn so there's seven people right there then it gets submitted to the city and i have to work with the planner and the planning department the zoning department and the building department so that all goes along in a process and a flow and then while i'm doing that i'm bidding the project me and a couple other people and my subs are bidding the project because all the bids, it's like 50 things you got to bid. So that's happening simultaneously with the plans being drawn and submitted to the city. And then, of course, after that's done, the client has now approved everything. And while I'm bidding it, I'm having them approve the tile, the slabs, the counters, the paint colors, the crown moldings, all that has to be approved. So we're finally done. Boom, the permit's ready. Clients made all the decisions, approved the plans. So I'm working with the client, monitoring the architecture on the city. And then I pull the permit and all that stuff kind of stops. And then I turn into the contractor and run the job for 12 months. And then there's always changes and change orders and the plans have to flow along and blah, blah, blah. But that's when the client work stops. And then I'm conducting this or orchestra of 50 people a day building because it's me, my employees and my subs. Speaking of your employees, I heard that you have like this amazing employee retention that people don't leave. Yeah, that's just it. I don't have any turnover because they literally move to another country or move back to wherever they're from or I hate to say die, but some of them retire. 
I don't have any turnover because I treat people right. And I treat them like kings. They treat me like a queen. And I pay a couple bucks more. But I'm literally respectful to them every day. And that's the secret, okay? No other contractors that I know of are. They jump around with their subs. They fight for lower bids. They sacrifice quality. They don't treat their employees right because they're usually dysfunctional human beings themselves. If they're yelling at them, that's not right. I can't disrespect people because the only thing I don't like in this world is disrespect. And I don't like it and I don't give it. So it's wrong. Human beings, no matter what your education, where you're from, all should be treated equally with respect. And the smallest guy should be treated just as nice as the other guy. And I don't take attitude from anybody. So the guys that work for me are like me because we match. My subs and I match. I don't have anybody working for me that has an attitude or pompous or any alcohol or drug addictions. How's that to get right down to it? I don't work with people that are not functional in their lives because it's a dangerous world in construction and we can't tolerate that. So the good news is everybody's like me. I'm a happy, positive, half glass, half full person. I was born this way and I have high energy. So they got to handle that and I'm fun. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what life's about. No stress. has to be fun. And why do you think that is that construction environment gets to be so dysfunctional for a lot of companies? Because a lot of people are in over their head. A lot of people may have personal issues and they don't know how to manage the money. And then all of a sudden their world starts crashing and it starts reflecting in their personality and their behavior. So it's basically bad management on the contractor's part because everything goes back to the contractor. Like in my day, if there's a problem, it's always my fault. It's nobody's fault. It's fine because maybe I did something wrong or I said something wrong or I ran something wrong. So it really goes back to the head of the company, the leader. So your actions go trickle down. So I always tell my clients, I'm your designer, I'm your contractor. I have no one to blame because it's me. You know, I can't turn around and yell at the contractor. I can't. So I get to see where all the deficiencies and defects are with other people because I know what they're doing and I know why. So it's fun to kind of point out to someone what happened when their job fell apart. And I usually can do it in about 30 minutes. Hey, this is why this didn't work. This is what he did or she did, what caused this avalanche of destruction and your project ended wrong. So the point is, it's really self-analysis and self-analysis of the process because it is a process. Going through construction is like sort of like being pregnant. The job goes naturally in order And you can't really screw it up unless you're a complete idiot. So it's really easy to do construction because it's all in order. It's common sense. So with the daily hiccups and daily surprises, of course, like this morning, my concrete truck showed up and he backed down the alley and dumped concrete all over the alley. Panic attack because this is right before our call, but we managed and we just moved the truck to the front and cleaned it up because... stuff happens but it's every day you got to be on it it's a surprise it's constant monitoring that's like the orchestra you're constantly monitoring you're in front of everything everyone so a lot of your success comes down to i think your attitude and your leadership skills and i'm just curious do you think that everything you're talking about is really about leadership oh yeah it boils down to self-accountability and taking responsibility for yourself and being able to criticize yourself And trust me, I spent a lot of years working on me and my health as far as how can I be a better person, a better manager. But I swear the leadership comes naturally from my grandmother who had 12 children. (laughs) My mother's the oldest of 12. (laughs) And a lot of it's natural, but it is, has to do with self-awareness. What are you doing? 
and then seeing that result because when I started managing men, I got good results and I didn't really take a whole lot of training, but then I reflected on what am I doing and it is leadership and accountability big time. And you are responsible for your actions, period. So over the years, as you know, as you get older, 35, you sort of know something, but you really don't. 40, it gets better. 50, you kind of know what's going on and you're solid. And then 60 is like, wow. So you learn more <laughs> as you get older. Trust me, especially women always say this because you get more comfortable in your skin. But there's a whole thing about that. So but I've always been a fun, natural leader. I was born in April. I'm in Aries. I'm a fire sign. There's personalities that I was born with that help. And I took a personality test. I'm an ENTJ, like a general, a leader. It's natural. Yeah, I, yeah. I went through these classes and took all these tests just a year ago to see my management style because my employees are disciplined like me. <laughs> I just was like, how is this happening? <laughs> so I just wanted to and analyze it. So I analyzed it. It's fun. So. I recommend analyzing your own personality so you know who you are, so you know why you react and how you can improve. But you got to work with your own personality first. Yeah, so if, if somebody doesn't have those natural leadership skills that you were born with, do you think they can get them by like just self-analysis oh, yeah. and learning? Yeah. Yep. You can discipline yourself to be a leader. You can discipline yourself how to behave. Just like how do you behave in church? How do you behave at the board meeting? You could discipline yourself how to be professional. It's the same thing. It's discipline. That's all. And then how much you want to learn. But education, it's not really it's as much college. It's really street smarts. Learn, 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 learn. Watch, 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 watch. Pick someone you admire. Watch them. Watch how they act. Watch how they dress. Everything. It boils down to everything you do. And be an open book. Be ready to accept anything. I mean, be like open, ready to accept information is my point. I was reading that you were involved with the HGTV pilot Frozen in Time with Dan Vickery and Maureen McCormick. Did you want to yeah. talk about that? That was so fun because I was in, I give a lot of talks in Laguna and this opportunity came up where HGTV was filming in Laguna and the night before the filming, the contractor bailed because he wasn't licensed or something happened. So he might have lied. But anyway, so the point is, I was called on a Saturday to say, can you help us with this filming with this local homeowner? I know you don't know us, but we need a contractor to show up Sunday and we're starting the film on Sunday night. It needs to be decided. So I showed up and I started filming the next day because I was happy to do it. And I had all the licensing credentials they needed. And they also called me a unicorn, like, where did you come from? <laughs> And so after doing four shows with them, they never worked with someone that actually didn't screw up their job because contractors, they underbid it or they don't show up on time. They don't manage. So they had all these struggles as it was because they go really fast on HGTV behind the scenes. And we kept up and it was easy. I don't know for me, but I got called and I saved the day. And then they kept me on for four more shows. And I still work with Dan Vickery to this day on his personal projects with his own clients. And I keep in touch with Maureen because she's such a crack up and her husband's from Iowa like me. So we all bonded. It was so fun. And the producers thought I was, we were a crack up because we're efficient and fast. And this is like simple. <laughs> that sounds fun. Where can everyone find those episodes and watch them? They're still on DirecTV and there's actually eight of them. And we did four and they're under frozen in time. So they're on there somewhere because they're recorded and they're still under the, I believe just direct TV because they aired on HGTV last summer, but they're still on there somewhere. 
And where can our listeners find you to learn all about your company and get in touch with you? The easiest thing to do is go to my website, which is simply my name, www.julielawton.com. And then my phone number, you can always call me at 714-305-2861. Just give your phone number out. <laughs> I don't care. I have other people that can answer my phone. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was going to say, are you sure you want to do that? We can edit. <laughs> I totally, no, I seriously love it when people call or send yeah. an email and ask questions. I have no problem with that. I seriously don't because I'm on my phone 24 seven. It's fun. <laughs> Well, Julie Lawton, CEO of Julie Lawton Custom Homes, we love having you hearing about your journey and allowing you to give all, all this inspiration to our audience. I'm sure some of them have heard of you before, but uh, we hope we're able to introduce you to even more people and that they can learn something from you. That would be great. And it's my pleasure. And like I said, more m women need to be in construction. Don't be afraid. It's a wonderful business. It's a booming business and women are needed. We're an asset. Project management's what it's all about. And what's better than building someone's dream home? It's a wonderful experience. Yeah, so cool. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Emily. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>